0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Can I tell y'all how y'all almost didn't get a podcast this week? I'll explain why later. First, I need to tell you about my L.A. life. I'm celebrating today my two-month quote-unquote and anniversary of moving to L.A. It's been an interesting adventure, and I'll also get to that in a little bit. But first, I need to tell you about part of my routine. I've been on this crazy workout kick and this health kick. I have some events coming up this summer that I would like to be at my best for. So I've been doing a lot of gym and I started hiking. I have to tell you about something I've incorporated into my fitness nutrition routine that has transformed my food life. I need to tell you about Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest delivers carefully sourced chef-crafted smoothies, savory bowls, overnight oats, and more. All of Daily Harvest's ingredients are carefully sourced for maximum nourishment and flavor. So far, Daily Harvest is the easiest, most delicious way to load up on fruits and vegetables first thing in the morning, before bed, and anytime in between. On last week's episode, I was telling you about these smoothies that I've been drinking every morning. I actually went and bought a blender. But this week, I've been trying out the Harvest Bowls. I had an amazing one earlier today. It was sweet potato and wild rice hash. It's got tomato, sweet potato, wild rice, great northern bean. I'm not sure how that's different than, say, like a good southern bean, but okay. Avocado, which you know I live and die for. Olive oil, which I probably should have less in my diet because it's so fatty, but I love it. Red pepper, nutritional yeast, Smoked paprika and my take, my tack, my take, my talk, mushroom, some kind of mushroom. Most of it's organic. I keep my, my daily harvest bowls in the freezer as the label suggests. I take one out in the morning when I think I want to eat one that day. You can actually microwave them if you want, but I've been trying to lay off the microwave. So I just put it on the stovetop, added two tablespoons of water, let it cook for four to six minutes. And boom, you've got a whole meal. So if you're interested in giving Daily Harvest a try, and I hope that you are, go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code RESPECTABLE to get three cups free on your first Daily Harvest box. That's promo code RESPECTABLE for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. That's daily-harvest.com. You ready for the shenanigans? Let me tell you why you almost didn't get a podcast. So tons of stuff has happened in the last couple of weeks, but nothing that I'm really excited about. And I was like, you know what? I respect my time and I respect my listeners. And I'd rather not do a podcast and do something else that, that fulfills me than to give you a whack podcast. Nobody wants that. Lucky for you and me. <laughs> I asked the, the folks on my, my private Facebook page. And if you haven't figured it out now, they're kind of like my testers. I bounce a lot of ideas off of them before I execute. I I believe in crowdsourcing opinions. If you're trying to give something to the masses, ask the masses what they want and and let them tell you. And as it would turn out, people were like, I want to hear about your transition to LA and starting over after 40. And I was like, "Eh, I ain't 40, but I did transition to LA. So I will offer some insights, But people had some other ideas that they wanted me to weigh in on that were actually pretty good. Maybe I can touch on those just a little bit. I know folks like their pop culture commentary. So I'll try to to give you just a bit of what I know you like. I'll give you some of the suggestions that, that came through. One of them was, can you talk about She's Gotta Have It? Really? Not only did I do an Instagram post about it, I also wrote nine separate episode reviews on my blog, DemetriaLLucas.com. So if you want great insight as to my thoughts on She's Gotta Have It, I'm going to have to send you to my blog. I will say that I thoroughly enjoyed many parts about this season. I thought there was character growth. I thought culturally, visually, sonically, Creatively, I liked where the show was going. I particularly loved the emphasis on art. I loved the emphasis on travel. I've never been to Martha's Vineyard. Watching the episode made me want to go. I knew there was a great history with Black folks going to the vineyard, particularly Oak Bluffs. But I, I had no idea it was like an artist colony. I know they have a, a big film festival every year in August. Maybe I'll try to see if I can make it this year. That would be really dope. Love the journey to, to Puerto Rico. I've been to Puerto Rico, but I didn't see... I saw all the tourist attractions. I was probably in college. I went with my parents, and we had guides and police escorts. (laughs) It was an interesting trip. I was traveling with my dad, who has always led an interesting life. And I'll leave it at that. I didn't get a chance to see a lot of the heavy African influences. I do remember that on the trip... The The group that we were with kept saying, because we were the only black people, they kept talking about the African influence in Puerto Rico. They kept telling me, but no one showed me. So most of the stuff I did was just tourist stuff. And I wasn't as into, you know, architecture and culture and museums and such as I am now. I think I spent we went to Old Town once and I spent the rest of the vacation laying on the beach and going to like fancy restaurants. That was a vacation to me at that time. I'd be bored out of my mind doing that now, so watching she's got to have it I wanted to I wanted to go back again and explore like take two weeks and just you know really get into as much of the culture as I can. There were so many positive things about this season that I'm almost hesitant to to state the things that I didn't like, but yeah, if you haven't had a chance to watch she's got to have it on Netflix, it just came out, so if you haven't caught it yet you need to catch it before you read my reviews on my site because they're all spoilers. There's, It's literally my thoughts as I thought them while watching the episodes. So what else did people ask me about? Some stuff people ask me to talk about, and I'm just like, this is of no real interest to me. Little Sister Jordan. You know I like that girl. I root for her. She, got her, she landed her first acting job on... A new episode of Grownish. Can I tell you I've never seen an episode? I think I mentioned that before. And people were like, oh my God, how could you not watch Grown-ish? I just, I don't know. I, I support the idea of it. I love, what's the little girl that has the spinoff? You know who I'm talking about. I can't remember her name for anything right now. She's just buttons cute. Look exactly like her mama. Cute, 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 cute. And beautiful mom. So good for, for baby Jordan. I always like to see a little black girl winning. That's good. Also on this list, can you talk about Trey Song's baby? Oh my God, that baby is adorable. You know, because newborn babies aren't always cute. They're often not cute. Folks be posting up their newborns on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm celebrating the new life. Your babies aren't always precious. They're precious to you. They're precious because they're gifts and miracles, but they're not always that cute when they first arrive. Sometimes you gotta wait a couple weeks for your baby to, you know, unwrinkle, get some color. I mean, you've been trapped in the dark for a really long time. Sometimes you look a little not quite yourself when you arrive into the world. That's all I'm saying. But Traython's baby was cute as I don't know what. That was a cute, cute, cute baby. I think what folks really wanted me to point out was that six months ago he was dating Steve Harvey's daughter, and then this baby just arrived. So that timeline was seem to indicate that someone else was carrying his child while he was publicly posting about Lori Harvey with her feet on his face. talking about, I like us. <laughs> I thought that shit was hysterical. Chase songs is what? 30, 37, 38. He grown, grown. Lori is 22. He ain't really had no business that young ass girl anyway, but Lori also posted him on her, her Instagram. And if I recall, the caption was something like, it is what it is, which I thought was hysterical because she was supposed to be dating like a bunch of other people. But she posted up a picture with them all smoothed up and it quietly disappeared. And People didn't know what happened. But now this baby arrived. I guess that's what happened. My dearly departed grandmother used to say, everything done in the dark comes into the light. This may be something that has come into the light. But they both seem to be handling the situation like mature adults. I did read somewhere that Lori Harvey had offered her congratulations on on Trey Song's Instagram with his post about his his son. So I thought that was good. That was classy. It's a classy girl. (laughs) Somebody asked Demetria, can you write about Dick Yelp? Did y'all see that? I think it got taken down at Dick Yelp was on Twitter and it's exactly what it sounds like it was Yelp reviews of the sexual talents of various men and the crazy part is they were adding the men and using their pictures a lot of guys had really good reviews like a lot of a lot of men were straight freaks several partners would like they ended their their reviews I would definitely recommend to a friend and I was like, oh, sir, it's the straight pass around. I don't know if that's good or bad. guess if he wants to be the pass around, he wants to be community dick. That all works out. Dick yelp. <laughs> Somebody threatened to, to uh, sick the FBI on the creator of the page. I mean, it's not like they're posting naked pictures of them. Everyone was clothed in the pictures. But morally, ethically, that didn't really seem right to me. Like, I read it all and I laughed. And I also told some people about it, but ethically, I didn't really think that was the right thing to do. It was comedy. Demetria, can you talk about Peter Guns having his eleventh child with a nineteen-year-old girl? What's there to say? Peter Guns is consistent. He don't believe in condoms. That's clear. I, I don't know Peter Guns. I don't know the degree to which he takes care of his family. We've seen him do some horrible shit to women on his reality show. I don't know how true that is, whether it's for cameras or not. But he does have 10 children with multiple women. I hope that he has the financial means to take care of them. I would imagine that. 11 children with multiple women it's difficult for him to be a present and active father in the children's lives but we're not just gonna blame peter guns here peter guns should absolutely be snipped or use condoms because the pullout method ain't working for you bruh i have to wonder about children's mothers because i think he has multiple kids by a couple of these women i met one of them who you would never guess Classy chick. Got her ish together. Very Amina-like. She looked very similar to Amina. Dope chick. I met her in a dope situation. Hanging around some dope, very high-powered folks in D.C. And when she said who her kid's father was, like I was like, really? Because you don't look like the type of chick that would get caught up in that kind of foolishness twice. But she did. She was a little embarrassed when she said it, though. So it gave me the impression that maybe she was very young. Have we seen a picture of Peter peen? I think we have. I want to say there's a picture of Peter Gunn's Peen on the internet. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's how he be knocking down all these chicks. Huh? He's too fertile. I wouldn't even, not even with a condom, not even on birth control. I'd just be like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. But I really wonder about like the, the mother of these children, like the mothers of children five through 11. I'm like... You know this man has sex with a bunch of women, clearly doesn't use condoms, and also doesn't stay with the women. Like, what makes you think you're going to be different than any of the other children's mothers before you? So I'm going to guess he has like 11 kids. I'm going to easily guess he has probably five mothers of children. I know at least two women have two children by him, which knocks it down. I should not be having to do algebra like 2X plus 2X. Like that's ridiculous trying to figure out how many mothers of children one man has. That's crazy. But good luck to the 19 year old. I can't imagine what that child support payment looks like. It's being split so many ways. That's some advice I would give to these young girls. If you're going to have babies by these dudes, make sure they have sustainable careers and they don't have a bunch of other kids' moms. Because you're not getting like the full 17% off top if he's already got kids by somebody else. If you're trying to have a baby by somebody as a come up, make sure it's an actual come up. Like crunch the numbers. Have babies by these celebrity men. You got to wonder if they're going to have a proper career in 18 to 21 years. How many celebrities do you know, entertainers do you know, that had millions, hundreds of millions, MC Hammer, Mike Tyson, but went bankrupt? Don't be out here having these babies with these one-hit wonders. They always lose their money. Those are some of the suggestions that people wanted me to speak about this week. Oh, wait, no. There's one more. Dion Warwick's comments on Beyonce over at Essence. I'm not online as much as I, I used to be. So I missed most of the brouhaha over Dion Warwick. I happened to log on to Facebook one day and somebody was like, Dion Warwick isn't even a legend. What has she done besides the Psychic Friends Network? And I was like, oh, this Dion Warwick slander will not stand. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So then I read up on why people were talking shit about Dion Warwick. And she made some comments about Beyonce. I didn't think they were accurate, but I didn't think it was straight Beyonce slander to the point that people needed to drag the great, but not late, Dionne Warwick. What does she say? I have an admiration for Beyonce Knowles Carter now. Watching her growth has been quite refreshing. It's wonderful to see how she's been able to create what and who she wanted to be and who she is. Now sustaining and becoming a big icon that a Gladys Knight or a Patti LaBelle or a Johnny Mathis or a Frank Sinatra or Sammy Davis Jr. is, I doubt that. Mm, Maybe that was a little slanderish. And like I said, I can appreciate her talent, but that iconic status that I just mentioned, those names, a long road to hoe. Oh, in fairness, those names are big names. Those names are a long road to hoe. She did a follow-up interview on the E! Network where she added just a little bit more context And she said that she didn't know if Beyonce was going to have a 50-year career. Beyonce's had a 20-year run already. I don't know why she would question whether Beyonce was going to have a 50-year career, though. I mean, obviously, she's not going to be able to dance the way she does now for the next 30 years. That's just the nature of the human body. You can't do the same things at 50, 60, 70 that you could at 20, 30, 40. And I think that's a fair assessment. It's just so weird to say that she didn't think that, that Beyonce was on that trajectory. Because in the list of people that she mentioned, I would say Diana Ross belongs on that list. I went to see Diana Ross in concert at Essence Music Festival a couple years ago. She was great. She had beautiful, flowy, fluffy ground gowns. She obviously didn't do a whole lot of dancing and movements, but the Supremes never did. But she has hit after hit after hit after hit. And she basically paraded around the stage in her lovely gowns. Beautiful. Everything about Beyonce's trajectory indicates that she would still be in that same category. Like Beyonce is very much an entertainer. She's very much a visual entertainer. Her music is good. Her voice is good. And it's underscored by amazing visuals. But even without the visuals, Beyonce can hold a note like, if you just listen to her albums, you just listen to her sing, a girl can actually sing. Beyoncé's music for the last 20 years have been, like, cultural moments. It's a soundtrack for a lot of people's lives. You remember outfits. You remember hairstyles. Like, she's, she's very much iconic. I don't know why she would say that. I mean, she's entitled to her opinion. I will say this about Dionne Warwick, though. Dionne Warwick is 78. Women stop giving a fuck. All their fucks are done by the time they're 60. You know how old people are, especially old black people. They feel like they've earned the right to say whatever, whenever. However you feel about what she said, and maybe you're one of those people that are like, you know what, her age does not give her a pass to be nasty. And I actually agree with you on that. And I think you can very well criticize what Dion Warwick said, and you can very much be like, mm-mm, Auntie Dion is doing too much. I totally agree with you. But what you cannot pretend is that Auntie Dion Warwick does not have hits on hits on hits on hits on hits. She is the second most charted female vocalist of all time with 56 of her singles making the Billboard Hot 100 between 1962 and 1998. That's a hell of a run. She has 80 singles making all Billboard charts combined. You know who number one is? Aretha Franklin. You gotta pay respect to Dionne Warwick. My dad is a huge Dionne Warwick fan. He's a huge music fan in general. He was like a DJ in the 60s. That's a whole nother story. And if you ever wondered like where I get the voice from, like the bassy, whatever, that's all my dad. My dad sounds like Barry White. It's like so weird. But my dad's a huge Dionne Warwick fan. He had to be the one that introduced me to Dionne Warwick. I can sing a lot of Dionne Warwick songs lyric for lyric. Walk on by, don't make me over. That's what friends are for, obviously. I'll never love this way again. Anyone who had a heart, Luther song. Most people know it as Dionne Warwick saying the original. You could be mad at Dionne Warwick for what she said, but you can't erase like her legacy. She's definitely an icon. Her and Burt Bacharach. You can't just shit on that just because you didn't like something that Dionne said. I'm gonna take this brief intermission to have a word from our sponsor, Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest delivers carefully sourced, chef-crafted smoothies, savory bowls, overnight oats, and more built on fruits and vegetables. Everything stays fresh in your freezer until you're ready to eat, and you can choose from more than 50 nourishing options for any time of day. Ready-to-blend smoothies, savory harvest bowls, soups, and more. Each single-serving cup takes one step to prepare. You just add water or milk to a smoothie or heat up a harvest bowl. I add a little water in mine just to give it a little more soupy taste. All of Daily Harvest ingredients are carefully sourced for maximum nourishment and flavor. It's the easiest, most delicious way to load up on fruits and vegetables first thing in the morning, before bed, and any time in between. If you're ready to give Daily Harvest a try, you can go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code RESPECTABLE to get three cups free in your first Daily Harvest box. That's promo code respectable for three free daily harvest cups at daily-harvest.com daily-harvest.com. So when I asked people what they wanted me to talk about, the overwhelming subject matter was about transitioning to L.A. and starting over again. After 40, which I was like, people, stop it. I am not 40, not yet. But people wanted to know, what was the process like of starting over? I'm actually writing a whole book about that, Life is Not a Dress Rehearsal. I've changed the subject matter of this book 50 million times. But essentially, it's a book about rebuilding a new life after you've made a mess of the previous one. I'll share some of my journey about what the process was. I think when it comes to this, I'm much better writing about it than I am speaking about it, but we'll give it a whirl. I left New York in July 2017, and I was pretty broken. I'd been in a a bad marriage without going into great detail. It took a huge emotional and physical toll on me. I went home to D.C., and I lived with my parents for about 18 months. I moved home to Maryland And I grew up there. I went to high school there. I went to college there. I went back and forth to see my parents like pretty often and to hang out with my friends. So I still had a built-in social infrastructure. So moving back to Maryland and quote-unquote starting over, it feels disingenuous for me to say that. I landed back in Maryland in July, and I immediately just hit the ground running. I didn't want to deal with the looming divorce. I did not want to deal with that shit. You know, I called up my friends and I told everybody like, hey, I've officially moved back. So there were lunches and dinners and brunches and I wasn't drinking at the time. So no cocktails. But like I was on the scene and I was meeting people, you know, I was landing TV segments. I was landing writing gigs. It wasn't like a big transition socially or emotionally at that point. I was in a really bad situation and I went to the safest place I could find, which was my father's house. It's biblical. There is always a room for me in my father's house. That's John 142. My father's house has many rooms. Being in DC was good at first, but then things started to fall apart. I remember I was doing a morning show And I was talking to one of my friends about it and they were like, oh, yeah, you should definitely try to get like a contributor job with them. It would be really great. They have the biggest reach in the area. And I was like, oh, okay. well, how big is the reach? And he was like, oh, girl, he was like, it's two hundred and fifty thousand people. And he said that like it was a lot of people. You know, I'm doing like the local affiliate and I'm happy to be there. I'm not mentioning the name for a reason because I don't want to seem in any way ungrateful for the opportunities. But. I was used to doing GMA. where on like a bad day. It's like four million. So I was like, oh, OK. After the novelty of me being back in D.C. wore off, I noticed I didn't really fit in the same way. Most of my friends were corporate. They had transitioned out of being legislative aides and even chief of staffs. They'd gone private sector and they were making shit tons of money. I'm coming from New York. I'm used to living in a a one-bedroom apartment that was big by New York standards. Like I had the hangout spot before I got married. I started to notice the income differential. I could live a similar life in some ways because I was living at home and I remember a time we would hang out in people's big ass houses with their big ass basements and their bars in-house. And it was because we were home for summer and we were all hanging out at our parents' house. But it seemed like everyone else around me had grown up. Everyone had houses and pools and garages and, you know, space. And I was like, wow, like even before life took this turn that landed me back home in the guest room, I wasn't living the same. New York is a different lifestyle. It's also way more expensive than DC, sort of. My friends had taken a different turn in life and I was still on this. I hadn't kept up in some ways. I'm always very mindful of that. Like, I don't ever want to be the successful friend in the circle. I like being surrounded by people who are also successful in their own right, in their own roles. But the definition of success in New York is much different than the definition of success in Maryland. So those things I started to notice. And then over time, like, I do have friends in Maryland who are married. But then I also had friends who were single and had been single single for a while. One of their favorite pastimes was going out and like looking to meet guys. I'm going through a divorce i I don't have any interest in going out to meet guys. I actually still honestly don't. If I'm honest with myself about what I want and what I don't. Guys just really not on the list at this moment. We'd be in these text chats and they'd want to talk about men. And it just, they want to talk about men and how to meet men. And and I just, I didn't have the bandwidth. So after a while, I just started keeping to myself. I'd go to the gym. I traveled. I woke up at the beginning of January 2018 and was like, I'm going to live a different life. It was a decision. I say that to people very often. To change your life is as simple as making a decision. Now, what you want won't happen immediately unless you do something crazy drastic. In order to make change, you have to make a decision to change. So I made a decision that I was going to live differently than I had before. And for me, that meant this divorce is contested. We're going back and forth in court. He's trying to get a gag order. He's drawing it out as long as he possibly can. It's an emotional roller coaster. And still, I decided I would not be held hostage to the worst part of my life. The divorce is part of it. It's not the whole damn thing. So I would fly out the country. I needed to see, I think, that there was a world beyond me and my problems. Because you're not hanging out with your friends. You're just kind of hanging out at the house, in the guest bedroom, watching a whole bunch of Netflix, thinking about all the wrong turns that my life has made. It's not really a road to progression. So that's part of the reason I was always on a plane in 2018. I also needed something to look forward to. When you're in a bad emotional place and all you have to look forward to is deadlines and court dates, you need more than that. Starting over, it's less what you do than a mindset. I could have immediately left New York and come straight to L.A., but sometimes I try to downplay how bad off I was when I left New York. I've been honest about it to varying degrees, I was worse off than even I've let on, probably to my parents. You can hear my voice wavering as I speak. But like, I was in a really bad place. And I had the exact same infrastructure, probably even better, when I left New York to move to California. I could have gotten like a much bigger place, could have upgraded my car, could have still traveled. But mentally, I just wasn't in, in a place. Hmm, odd illusion. If you remember the episode of, this is us. Deja goes back and forth between Randall and her parents and then finally Deja's mother comes and she says, "You know, can you just take Deja because I just can't do it anymore." Deja goes upstairs to her bedroom and Randall comes up to ask her, she's like, "No, how are you? Like, are you are you okay?" And Deja says, "I'm just tired." The way she expressed being tired of this back and forth with, with her mother and her mother's addiction and going back and forth between families and foster care and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's how I felt when I left New York. And I was just like, I am depleted. I couldn't have moved to California. It wasn't healthy for me to be left to my own devices by myself for that long. I'd be dead, be quite honest with you. I would have started doing drugs and overdose, or I would have become a stone-cold alcoholic, or I would have killed myself. I had to move back to D.C. Like, I needed to be home with my parents. Unfortunate truth. My real starting over to me is not moving to D.C. Everyone else saw D.C. as a transition. I had convinced myself that it was a permanent decision. Like, oh, I'm going to move to D.C. And I'm getting an apartment on H Street. I'm going to start covering politics. And eventually, like, maybe I'll go work on the Hill. Because I could. Theoretically, Maybe. But the real transition, for me at least, was moving to California. It wasn't physical and it wasn't financial. It was just really getting my head together of being so far away from home, of being scared of making another huge mistake. I never wanted to be in that situation again. And not just, I mean, married, but I just mean emotionally, mentally. I never wanted to be in a rock bottom place again. And I I was scared to make another leap that would possibly put me there. I spent a lot of time thinking about the steps that led up to me marrying someone that I shouldn't have and staying in a situation that I shouldn't have after I realized like, oh no, this is a shit show. There's some ugly truths about not just the marriage, but honestly, just about me and my story and my family that I really had to like break down and, and deal with. That made me really, really uncomfortable. There is a large gap between the person I would like to be and the person that I am. And I thought it was much less of a gap than it was. Only to sit down and take a proper assessment of my shit and be like, oh, some of this really stinks. But in terms of moving to California, I remember like being, like being wanting to move and being scared to move. Like I'd come out to California for two and a half weeks in November, right before... Thanksgiving because I decided I think I want to move. When I came back, my mom was like, Oh no, you can't move. You have to be here for Christmas. You have to be here for Thanksgiving. Can you wait until the new year? I had a really good friend who was moving to Atlanta and she was renting a townhouse sight unseen. And I was like, you know what? I know the I know the neighborhood I want to live in. Worst case scenario, I can have my cousin go look at the spot. As long as I'm in the neighborhood that I want, like I'm good. I went to the gym. I'd walk uphill as fast as I could to get that like adrenaline rush. And I would blast gospel music at the same time. So you're getting a spiritual high and a physical high at the same time. And I worked out all the ish, all my fears about moving in my head. And I was like, look, like you can go out to California and you can try something different. I convinced myself that there was nothing for me left in DC, at least not professionally. DC is a political town. There's no room for me there to grow in the way that I want to grow. I would have to move back to New York, which was no. Even before I got married, I started talking about moving to LA. I was like, I've gone as far as I can go in DC. I feel like I've exhausted the options here. I need to at least go to LA and try my hand. I, I literally ran on the treadmill or walked swiftly uphill on the treadmill. I still couldn't run. I had sciatica. But I talked myself into it. I talked myself into seeing life in terms of its possibilities instead of avoiding my fears. I asked myself two questions. I said, if I was 80 years old on my deathbed, would I regret moving more than not moving? And I figured if I went to Cali and I tried and I failed even, that I would respect that more than just being too afraid to go. And then I wondered, what my 22-year-old self would tell me. There was a time when I was full of adventure and I thought anything was possible and I thought the world was my oyster. I just had to figure out how to get what I want. It wasn't a matter of it not being possible. It was just a matter of how. I didn't think my 22-year-old self would be proud of me for moving to 8th Street and getting an apartment at the Apollo and calling that a life. It's a great life. Don't get me wrong. I think if you want to move to D.C. and you want to work in politics and that's your goal in life, I think that's awesome. But it wasn't my goal in life. And then a weird thing happened. My very stoic Mississippi raised and reared father, ex-military, like that kind of black dude, the kind of old black man who stands at the window and looks out at his land, came and told me and was like, what are you doing? Move to L.A. And I was like, I know, but, but, but. And he was like, just move to L.A. This is a man who, when I told him I wanted to be a writer, looked at me and was like, that's a hobby, not an occupation. Wanted me to go to law school was devastated, devastated when I decided not to. But he was like, you should go. Without asking, I get the blessing of of my dad. And he like left to go. Whatever retired dads do in the middle of the day. I turned on the shower. And I checked my email while I was waiting for the water to warm up. And it was a letter from my lawyer saying my court case had been reopened. Literally the day I made the decision, like, okay, I'm going to go to L.A. (sighs) And I lost it. I lost it. And I sat down on the edge of the tub and I screamed in a voice that scared the holy fuck out of me. Like, I didn't know I was capable of making that kind of noise. And I just, like, cried and cried and cried and cried. <sighs> it was the worst day of my life. Worse than leaving New York. <sighs> Worse than the day I wanted to kill myself. That I'd finally found the resolve to want more. And to do better and be okay. And then I couldn't leave. I didn't know if my court case was going to get thrown out in New York. And if it did, I'd have to refile. I was no longer a resident of New York, so I'd have to file in Maryland. But if I moved to California, I wouldn't be able to refile for another six months. California is also a community property state. (sighs) So any money that I still had would be put into jeopardy. So I wouldn't be able to move to California. I had to stay and wait for the court case to play out. God, I can't believe I'm saying all this and I'm not going to delete it either. Hopefully to help somebody who's in a really bad place because it does get better. I made it to California and it's absolutely freaking marvelous here. So like I was I bottomed out that day and actually decided I was not going to move to L.A. The court case was another eight weeks away. I couldn't move. Everything just got canceled. Stayed in bed for like four days. Like I was just depleted. I debated moving back to New York. Went up to New York for a weekend. My dad was like, please get out of this house because you're scaring us. Got there and was like, this place is loud. I can't come back here. I love New York. At the time I moved to New York, I thought it was the greatest city on earth. I think it's the second greatest city on earth right now. you know what my first is? (laughs) I love it here. Go back to court in February. That was a shit show. Ended up in New York overnight with my purse. That's it. I showed up for court. We weren't able to have court that day for various reasons. And then the following day, I was back at court at 930 in the morning. I showed up to court with a hangover. Let's let's leave it that. I got back to Maryland. I knew I didn't want to go back to New York. I was still trying to figure out what I could do in D.C. because I had just given everything to talk myself into that, that first move and just didn't feel like I had it in me to to try again. Like I felt like I gave it all I had. And I was like back to, I wouldn't say back, I'd gone back to zero. The year before, actually several years before I've been invited to Leading Women Defined. I was either always traveling or I was busy or I just, you know, didn't pay attention to the emails and applied too late. But this year, as it would turn out, I happened to check the email and it was one day left to apply and book a room. So I did. It was in Southern California said I have to fly into LAX. So I came out here for the retreat and I met some incredibly dope women. And what they all had in common is that they all had a story. Most of the women at Leading Women Define, the women who you want to meet are in their like mid forties on up. Nobody's life had just been this upward trajectory of nothing but good things. When you started talking to the women about their stories, Everyone had these like ups and downs. We'd all ended up in this amazing resort, the Ritz Carlton. Some of us were broken. Some of us were great. Some of us were thriving. Some of us wanted to come up. Some of us were peaking, but everybody was present. And sometimes that's all you got just to be there and you figure it out. I had this amazing, I wouldn't call it therapy. We call it a breakthrough session with Lisa Nichols. And I don't want to just dis- diminish what she The process that she provided in any way, there is something to be said for stating your worst fears out loud and then nothing happens. These are the things that I'm feeling. These are my fears. These are the things that scare me. And then other people in the room who you look at and they look like they have it all together will be like, girl, me too. And you'd be like, oh, shit, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just experiencing human emotions. Fear is a human emotion. Being scared is a human emotion. Being angry is a human emotion that we all have. But when it's just in your head and it's just whirling around, you think you're the only person dealing with it. And then you speak it out loud and you're like, oh, I've taken it out of me. I placed it on the table. It's really not as scary as I thought. So I left the conference. I had a couple extra days to hang out in LA. I was gonna pal around with my cousin. I was gonna see Amanda. I was gonna I don't know. I was just gonna hang out in LA since I wanted to be here so bad. I just happened to check the website. I was checking out of my Airbnb. I had a red eye flight back to the East Coast. And I just decided, you know what, I'm gonna check that building and see if if they have anything available. And I checked the website. I wanna say it was like a Monday. They had they had two or three apartments available. One of them was in my price range. I went by, I walked in and I felt at home. There was a view of the mountains. There was a view of palm trees. It was spacious enough. It's about the same size as my old apartment in New York, different layout though. It's just it's a loft. But it had a bathroom that I could hold up both my hands and turn around in a circle and not touch the wall. It had a dishwasher, which I'd never had the entire time I lived in New York. It's nowhere near as nice as my parents' house. And I knew that if I could just step out on faith, I could live here. I went out to the parking lot and I called my mom and she could hear it in my voice. And she was like, you should take it. So I called the property manager and was like, I'll take it. Again, you make a decision. One decision can change the trajectory of your life. And just for clarity, making a decision or making a transition isn't going to be easy. Deciding to make a different choice for your life, deciding to go in a different direction from what you've known, what you've been comfortable with, to choose to be essentially uncomfortable is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be emotionally fraught. You're probably going, you're going to be scared. You're going to be fearful. You're going to probably have a bit of anxiety around it. And that's okay. It's okay to be scared unless you have that gut instinct that says this ain't it chief. That's something worthy to listen to, but general fear do it scared. It doesn't have to be easy. It doesn't have to be convenient. It doesn't have to be sugar and sunshine. It's okay to show up for yourself scared. It's not okay not to show up for yourself. And I will tell you without even announcing that I was moving It's like the universe started to lean in my direction. I had bumps with finding a moving company that was affordable. Once I got here, I fell right into the mix. Most of my close friends that had lived in New York live in L.A. But yeah, like two of my closest friends are here. Two of my cousins are here. So it's really weird for me to talk about like rebuilding. My biggest dilemma in life right now is finding a bed. When people talk about transitioning in life, I wish I had much greater insight than you have to make a decision to change your life. The hardest part of it is taking the first step. It's going to be challenging. Don't, don't get me wrong. The stress of actually moving. My nerves were bad. My parents' nerves were bad. My friends were super excited and were calling me constantly. And I was like, you're not helping right now. But getting here, like the transition has been relatively smooth. I'm still living out of boxes. Again, it's been two months. Work has been, I finished my proposal for the book. I sent that in. I think the book goes into more detail about the actual emotional and mental journey of it. But it all boils down to you have to make a decision to decide you want something different. Like the decision to to leave my husband was a decision that I wanted a better life than what I had with him. And it wasn't possible staying with him. It just wasn't. And I don't mean better in terms of material things. I mean better in terms of peace. And an ability to pursue my passions and goals. I wasn't able to do that. In New York. With him. Very unfortunate. But everything is a decision. You make a decision. To do something different. To want more. And you kind of got to let the cards fall where they may on the the consequences of those decisions. There were tons of things that I thought out, like, OK, if I leave, whether it be New York or whether I leave D.C., or even if I leave L.A. and go back to the East Coast. Actually, if I leave L.A., I'm going to New Orleans next. But I thought about the consequences that, you know, if I do X, then Y will happen. If I do Y, then Z will happen. Like I'm one of those people that plays out a long game in my head. But For most of the things that happened, a lot of stuff I fretted about that never did happen. Some of my worst fears actually came to fruition and somehow life kept going. Even days where I didn't think it would. There were a lot of those days. But sometimes it's just as simple as putting one foot in front of the other and having a good therapist on call to talk you out of your worst impulses. I hope this wasn't a depressing episode. It's honest. There's more to it. And life is not a dress rehearsal. It's a heavy story. I'm in a much better place and I've made peace with a lot of things. But just to think about some of what I put myself through. I take ownership of my role. But just to think about that is, um, hmm. let me say this. I'm very grateful for where I am versus where I was. I go to the gym every day and I still listen to gospel music and I play Marvin Sapp. Never would have made it. And there's never would have made It's like the really popular song that everybody knows. But there's another song that goes something like glad I made it. So glad I made it. I'm not where I want to be, but I thank God I'm not where I was. So that is our podcast for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Last but not least, I have to remind you, that Daily Harvest, (laughs) I'm doing this right now, that Daily Harvest is the easiest, most delicious way to load up on fruits and vegetables first thing in the morning before bed and anytime in between. All of Daily harvest ingredients are carefully sourced for maximum nourishment and flavor. And you can actually see all of the ingredients when you open up the cup. Each single serving cup takes one step to prepare. Just add water or milk to a smoothie maybe a little water when you heat up your harvest bowl, and you are good to go. If you're interested in Daily Harvest, please go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code RESPECTABLE to get three cups free in your first Daily Harvest box. That's promo code RESPECTABLE, not RATCHET. For three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com, daily-harvest.com. I'll be back next week. I have no idea what I'm going to talk about next week. I will tell you this <laughs> it'll be much lighter, much happier than this week's discussion. I guess I had to get that out. I intend to tell y'all all that. But now you know. And you'll know more when Life is Not a Dress rehearsal drops. In the meantime, I'll talk to you later. Bye.